Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, Mike, we've made it through the entire work week in the fallout of the Leafs opening round, not even opening round exit, preliminary round exit, qualification round exit, whatever it was. We'll never have to speak to it ever again. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I guess we're going to can't really escape that given that this show is called live laugh leafs and for the next four and a half months plus all we'll have to work on is the fact that the meat beliefs failed in their qualification series but as mentioned on previous podcasts we got other things we need to talk about we need to talk about the nhl at large and all the other things that are going on around the league obviously there's no shortage of news items but first i just need to know how you got through this week you know, there's not any, there's no water coolers to go to, but have you been able to sort of vent with the people you needed to vent with and just sort of get through another Leafs disappointment? Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, you're right. There are no water coolers, so it's tough. But so I've, I've taken to, um, you know, walking out on, on my balcony and just screaming. Um, so that's fun. Uh, my neighbors love me. Um, they, they, I keep getting calls from the front desk to keep it up, to keep going. Um, you know, they, they just love, they love the, their screaming neighbors so much. Other than that, it's been, you know what, it's been really nice to cover something that's not the least. Like, it's been nice to cover hockey that, it, that you don't really have any, you know, professional or emotional attachment to. You can just kind of enjoy it and see, you know, like, follow the storylines without any sort of, um, I don't know, anything really tied to it. So it's fun. It's, it's hockey in its purest form. Um, and there's no, yeah, there, there's, there's no risk of being upset or annoyed or anything. You just get to watch it and enjoy it. And there is so much hockey going on right now. There's a hockey game playing right next to me on mute that, as we speak. So it's, it's terrific. I, I'm loving life. What are your screams per 60 right now? Um, better than Cody CeCe's. See, the internal data on that shows that I'm a better screamer per 60 than I, than I get credit for. And I'm not sure why there's a referendum on my screaming all the time. So I just don't get it. Tell you what, screams are, you know it's it's pretty cut and dry with screams you know yeah. a scream and you don't know a scream apparently we still don't know exactly what cody cc does well uh but it's not screaming no nope. it's not and it's not know, playing defense either it's not defensive zone coverage we'll say mm. that uh we're still still waiting on those uh exact uh you know attributes that mm-hmm. makes cody cc a strong defender hopefully one day we'll get them they but won't. for now, we've got to, as, as mentioned, we've got to move on to some, yes. uh, some non-Leaf items. And the first non-Leafs, live, laugh, Leafs, mm-hmm. since the Leafs were eliminated. But considering their history, this lead item here probably can be considered at least Leaf adjacent. Do you agree mm-hmm. with me on that one? I think so, yeah. Okay, so that story is that Tuka Rask has opted out of the NHL's return to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are now close to three weeks into the restart, meaning he's been inside the bubble. For three weeks mm-hmm. uh there's no emergency nothing 
particularly pressing, I guess. I mean, that's not the right word, uh, but there's nothing that's, you know, uh, that, you know, drop everything and rush out of the bubble type of scenario. He just needs to be with his family, and that's what he's explained on his press release. And the Bruins have obviously granted that him that wish, even though they really didn't have any say in the matter. Uh, but they are they've they're the Boston Bruins are now moving on. They're currently playing without Tuukka Rask, and they will play without Tuukka Rask for the remainder of the postseason. It seems so. Mm-hmm. Just give me your thoughts on the news, uh, and I guess the reaction to the news. Yeah, the reaction is the first thing. I didn't even when I saw this break, the it wasn't even you know it did, the hockey mind of it I guess the hockey aspects of it didn't even really cross my mind because the first thing I thought was okay Tuka Rask plays in Boston and now he's opening up to spend time with his family which is like you know a nuanced situation so the reaction from the Boston faithful is just going to be so rational it's going to be it's going to be measured it's going to be great um you know what I've seen a lot of uh I've seen a lot of pretty decent like reactions to this at least on social media apparently Mike Milbury said something really dumb that I just didn't even want to you know I didn't I, I Again, I hate bringing up that name, but he's on the American feed, and, and I saw a lot of people reacting to that. I mean, I didn't actually hear it, but no, this is I'm I'm really interested to see how many more players are going to follow suit here because it's easy to be in this bubble for you know two three weeks. You know, it becomes like a summer camp in a way. You get to you know I was walking by the bubble the other day downtown, and they have little you know like twinkly lights out on what I'm assuming is a patio outside there. There's a lot of things for the players. To do but at a certain point there's a reason why camp only lasts you know a, a, you know x amount of weeks and at a certain point you want to go home you want to spend time with people you want to be able to you want to be able to hug you know your wife or your girlfriend or your children or your partner or anything um and Tukaras clearly feels like he is needed at home i'm not sure if there, there doesn't seem to be any crisis here it doesn't seem to be anything like he just you know like there, like you said there, this was a choice that he made and I don't think this is going to be the last one. Like, it's like for, for a player to leave, the t- leave his team in the middle of a playoff series, in the middle of, of a hunt for a cup, especially a guy like Tuka Rask, who has never won a Stanley Cup while being the starting goaltender. Because he has, he has a cup ring with Boston, but he was a backup because that was the Tim Thomas magic run. This, yep. it clearly shows how, like, that, that would, should show above anything else how big of a deal it is for these players to really be with their, with their families. Um, and let's you know as as this goes on like this could be another what like two months right like it's it could be crazy so I'm not I don't think the two could ask me the last person to do this I think he I think there are a lot of people there are a lot of players on there especially ones with young children or you know people who's or, or, or people whose partners are, are you know in labor or something like that or, or giving you know like we're pregnant at the, at the moment or giving birth or there's some there's so many different things that happen um that don't have to be you know medical like emergencies but just like it wears on you. So I think that, that Tuka Rask, I, I totally respect the decision. I think it's great. I think no matter what you do, what's best for your family. There should be no one make, uh, you know, no one criticizing for this, for him, him for this at all, because he's a human being just like you or I. And I think you or I would do the exact same thing. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I think this might not to say set a precedent, but I think this won't be the last thing, last instance of this that we see. Yeah. I'm not really sure uh, if I, do think that there'll be another player. I, I guess I wouldn't be surprised, but I am quite imp- not. I don't want to say impressed because again, that's not the right word. I'm in, I'm impressed by the move that Rass made because he made the best decision for himself. Yeah. But I am impressed with the buy-in. I'll say from everybody else who seems to be really, uh, for the most part, into the you know the task at hand, the bubble. They've done a really nice job, mm-hmm. and I think that buy-in is there. So while I wouldn't be surprised, I guess if we see another one. Uh, I don't really expect there to be sort of this mass exodus because one guy finally stepped up and did what was best for him and his family. Um, 
I guess go to the, I'll, I'll start off with the Millberry take. I didn't actually hear it before I saw the mm -hmm. backlash. So immediately you're thinking, well, okay, give me the opposite of what Mike Millberry says, because that's probably how I'm going to feel. Yeah. Um, but I think Mike Millberry has been sort of painted in this corner where anything he says now, especially in a controversial subject, he's now going to get lambasted for. He's kind of like Steve Simmons in that regard, where Simmons, mm -hmm. basically everything he does is he gets hammered for, even though he does you know, there, there is some quality, there's certainly some quality reporting in what he does. There's also things that people have take issue with and should take issue with. Mm -hmm. uh, and for that reason, everything that he does gets slammed and that's not really fair. And I think that sort of follows this path a little bit because what Milberry said was sort of just the truth. I mean, he's, there's no one else who's done that and Tukarask has decided to do it. Maybe you could say by his tone or take from his tone that uh, he didn't approve of what Tukarask was doing. And but ultimately, you know, I didn't think we would, any of us would expect Milbury to be on board with this decision, uh, given how he seems to view things. Uh, so while Milbury's take was certainly, you know, I, I don't think he's a sympath he's showing any sympathy towards Rask. I don't think it was the worst thing in the world either. The story arc here is interesting, though, because Tuka mm -hmm. Rask came out after the game two loss and complained about the atmosphere. Yeah. So it was like he was laying, he was, he was certainly showing that he was a little agitated, but he wasn't ready to actually place it in the, like he was, it was sort of misplaced mm -hmm. in that he was blaming something else for how he felt, which I think was a bit of a cop-out, but for him to, but we obviously didn't know it at the time, but for him to, you know, take the steps he needed to, from that moment to the moment where he, that he got to apparently this morning to make the right decision for himself, I'm glad it happened that way. Mm -hmm. But you're right. If you feel the way Tukaras feels, you can't be there. It is not good for him and his family. Yeah. It's also not good for the Boston Bruins if Rask is there, but not present at all. If mm -hmm. he's not there, he's not really there. Uh, ideally, this decision would have come earlier, as I mentioned, you know, before the Bruins lost their top seed, before they earned, or he earned a split in the first two games versus the Carolina Hurricanes. But better late is, than never is, uh, is certainly the situation right now. Him trying to power through and not sharing the same desire as everyone else, that would have been detrimental eventually to the Bruins. So for him to come to this decision right now, based on how he feels, this is the best thing for Boston, in my opinion. Yeah, and we also don't know, like there's so much that we don't know with this, right? We don't know the interworkings of, of Tukaras' family life. We don't know the nuance of his, of his family. So this, you know, him being away from, from his, um, his children and his partner and everything, everything like that, that could, be, that could weigh more on him than it would for someone else. We don't know. Um, but no, it is... It, it, it is important. I think also with the Milbury thing is that he hasn't earned the benefit of the doubt that people can take his words in a positive context, close a negative, because he said that so many times. Like when, it, when Jake Muzzin's literally on, like lying on the ice in dead silence, un like unable to move, and he goes, oh, I think he's selling it for, for a whistle. You know, I don't think you can, you can then be like, oh, yeah, but no, I think, I think we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt here. He definitely meant, you know, he meant the, uh, what's best in this, in this situation. Um, no, yeah, like you're right. Clearly, Tuka Rask was weighing whether or not it was worth it, whether or not it was worth, you know, being in this weird situation, this bubble playing in a, in a completely empty rink, possibly tarnishing, you know, if he's not fully uh, dialed in, possibly tarnishing his professional, you know, statistics and reputation, opposed to being away from his family. He clearly kind of did that sort of um, cost benefit uh, analysis in his head. He weighed it, he weighed the two and he realized, you know, it, it, it's not worth it. I need to be with my family. I need to go home. You know, like I, I, I can, kind of just make a clean break here and come back when everything's back to normal and play hockey and do what I'm, you know, what I'm paid to do. And that, 
I think that I think that's the best. Like you, like these players, you're right. Like if if you don't want anyone on the team, it, the chain is is as as you know strong as its weakest link. And you don't want anyone on your team if you're going to battle with your you know with I guess it's 21 other guys every single night on route to a Stanley Cup. You don't want to want one of those guys wishing he was somewhere else. So if Tuka Rask is if this is a situation that Tuka Rask feels is not tenable for him, that he can't fully be dialed in, if he can't fully be putting you know himself in a position to help his team win then I think that there's, that's a big reason why the Boston Bruins are okay with this too. They're like, all right, you know, we know, we know who you are. We know the, the quality of person you are. Um, so yeah, be away. If, if, if like, you know, this, this works, this is kind of a mutually beneficial for both of us. So yeah, I mean, again, I think that this isn't going to be, I don't think there's going to be a mass exodus, like you said, of players doing this, but I don't think that Tuka Rask is the last one. I think there are going to be some, some instances where we see a player do kind of along these lines. Okay, so we'll tie it up with this. Does this impact Boston's Stanley Cup bid? Obviously, it does. Uh, does it really hurt their, hurt their chances? Maybe it enhances their chances. Because as we mentioned, if you're going to continue to ride someone who, doesn't, who is not in it, who, and you have to be in it to be successful mm-hmm. in the Stanley Cup playoffs, there's no half measures here. So if they're going to not, if they're going to play a goaltender that's maybe a little bit uh, less talented or a little bit less reliable, even though he is very reliable in his own right, but just not at Tuka Rask quality, but is 100% there, I think they might have an even better chance because they're not going to be sabotaged in the end by a goaltender who might not be completely dialed in because he might be one loss away from getting home and being with his family and doing what's most important to him. Mm-hmm. So while I think under perfect circumstances, yes, they have a, uh, you know, a lesser chance to win the Stanley Cup with an inferior goaltender, albeit only slightly, in my opinion, uh, in this circumstance, I think they might have enhanced their chances. I think that there, there are pros and cons to this because it, it, I think this really impacts – because Halak proved that he's, you know, uh, one of the best, you know, sort of 1A, 1Bs in, in the league. Like, it, it, they – Boston did a really smart thing with the goaltending tandem that they have in, in recent years, and it worked for them really well. Um, it does, what, where I really think this is going to impact them is on any potential back-to-backs that they have moving forward because there are now playoff back-to-backs, and we've seen, you know, teams switch in between goalies. And – you know, what, what gave the Bruins an edge is that they could put Tuka Rask in net one night and then they could put um, uh, uh, Yaroslav Halak in net the other night and really not see a huge drop-off in quality. And now, you know, depending on, on, on that, that, what happens with back-to-backs in later series, they're going to have Tuka Rask in net for one night. And then at the moment, there are emergency backups like this. I, I don't even know. I don't think it's someone who, who you can put in a, in a game. So it's, yeah, I think that'll be the biggest impact. But at the same time, you're right. You do want everyone on the same page. You do want everyone and going, you know, firing on all cylinders. And if Tuka Rask isn't, isn't doing that, then there is sort of an addition by subtraction aspect to that. But, I, but again, Tuka Rask is a quality goaltender who I think is better than, you know, anyone they could kind of bring up in this situation. So it does impact them in, in some way, no matter what. It definitely does. Uh, let's transition to another Atlantic division rival of the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Montreal Canadiens, who are suddenly 1-1 as the number 12 seed against the number one Philadelphia Flyers, who, of course, stole that top seed from the Boston Bruins. Uh, it was a dominating Game 2 performance from them. 5 nothing, uh, two goals from Kotkaniemi, two goals from Thomas Tatar, uh, Max Domi with three assists, Carey Price with his second shutout of the playoffs. Uh, and they did it without their head coach. Of course, Claude Julien... Uh, was experiencing sort of an active cardiac event after game one, their game one loss. Uh, he was forced to go to the hospital. Uh, he had surgery to, to increase the blood flow in his coronary artery. Uh, pretty, pretty, you know, That's significant intense. stuff and That's heavy intense. stuff for this team. 
Uh, he had to go home and he will not be here for the series against Philly. And you got to think he's not going to be around uh, and back in the bubble because th- this wasn't a small thing. This was mm-hmm. a coronary artery. I'm no physiological expert, uh, but I do believe that's a very important uh, part of your uh, cardiac system. So mm-hmm. uh, I-, I don't think they should expect them. I don't think the Habs should expect to have Julian back, but that doesn't mean they can't hear him. Uh, if you watch game two, that was exactly how Julian wants his team to play. Mm-hmm. I mean, organization from a defensive standpoint, opportunistic offense from what is a, I think, a underrated group of forwards. If you look at them on paper, there's a lot of talent there and they just never, they haven't seemed to show it. Maybe that's partly because how they, how they're, they want to play from a you know more defensive standpoint. Um, but this group can score goals uh, based on paper alone. They haven't really shown it and they haven't really proven it. Uh, but what they do best, obviously, begins with Carey Price being an all-world goaltender and maybe the best in the world still on mm-hmm. his best day. And then a defensive core that is just, you know, coming into its own in terms of playoff hockey, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because while Ben Sherratt was clearly not, you know, the prize of the free agent pool this offseason, him and Shea Weber are one of the most dominant pairings left that we have here. And they are just punishing teams that want to play against them or are forced to play against them. So suddenly things are falling into place. And with a little tweak from Kirk Muller uh, promoting Max Domi in the lineup, all of a sudden the offense was there too. So do the Habs Habs have something here? It's hard to say. Do the Habs have something here uh, against Philly? And is it all coming together in terms of, you know, still having Julian in their minds, but a little tweak from an offensive standpoint that completely changes things from them and leads to what could be another big upset. Yeah. You know, I, what the Habs are doing is remarkable. Like it's, they, they took on the Pittsburgh Penguins and they bounced them in pretty, in, in you know, in pretty succinct fashion. Like the Pittsburgh didn't really put up much of a fight and now they're going against the Flyers team that a lot of people were like, you don't want to meet the Flyers in, in, the, in the first round. This is a tough team. And they dominated them. The Flyers didn't get a, I believe the Flyers didn't get an even strength shot attempt until like 17 minutes into the game or something like that. Like it was, that was not a good game last night um, by Philadelphia. And Carey, like Carey Price, you're right. Like a hot goaltender can steal you a series. And Carey Price has a 954 save percentage right now throughout these playoffs, whether including the qualifiers, obviously. But they're getting, the thing about the Habs that I've always liked about them and that I've always wondered, you know, when they're going to put it together is their, is their forward core is a lot of young and fast players. It's, and in the playoffs, in a, in a situation like this, where, you know, there's no runway and they, they were forced to kind of jump on that treadmill going at full speed right away in, in a, you know, a do or die qualifier series, their skill kind of, you know, outweigh, their skill is kind of taking over. Like their, their, their speed, their relentlessness, they, the Habs, the one thing that everyone kind of chided the Habs, not chided, but like gave them credit for is that while they weren't the best, the most skilled team, they tried. They tried every night. They never gave up. They never, you know, uh, showed any quit, even though, you know, they might be the smallest dog in the fight or whatever. They still, you know, fought to the last bell. And they are a remarkably structured team under, under Claude Julian. And with the, with the speed that they bring and with that, you know, never say die attitude, they have really come out and taken these playoffs and made them their own. They're the 24th seeded team. They're the lowest seeded team here. And they bounced Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin in the first round. And now they're taking um, a really, really, you know, dangerous Philadelphia Flyers team that was poised to, to make some noise. And they, they beat them last night, too. Um, Shea, getting Shea Weber back to what seems like full health 
is a godsend for them. He's been absolutely incredible. Ben Sherrod has really stepped up his play. Um, I think that they have something here. I'm not sure that they're going to win this series, but they're going to make it. I think the, the Flyers are too talented, and I think Carter Hart just had a nightmare game last night. But I think that this team is, is, is really scary. And like you said, you know, Kirk Muller, him having that sort of just that little bit of offensive flair added to the structured team that, that Julian put together. I mean, that's, I think that that could give them an edge that they might not otherwise have. Um, for example, like keeping out the top power play unit, even though, you know, the game was far and away done, which really annoyed Alan Vino, um, which is the dumbest, you know, complaint in hockey. But that is something that I don't think Julian would have done. And Kirk Muller is willing to take those risks and willing to be, you know, that kind of aggressive offensive coach. So, yeah, I, I, I lo- I'm really, really excited. The Habs are appointment viewing for me now. Like the Habs are, you know, you can't watch every, every series, but if a Habs game is on, I'm going to watch it. And I'm going it, to, like, it, they're, they're just really, really fun to watch, if nothing else. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They're certainly the second most intriguing team for me right now Mm -hmm. uh, behind a team we're going to get to in a second. But the story with the Habs coming in was always that, you know, Carey Price is the all-world goaltender that he can be and has been for many seasons uh, before taking a bit of a tumble with, you know, sort of in line with Montreal sort of fading as an organization in recent seasons, that they could do just about anything. Mm -hmm. And I think he's sort of even exceeded the most optimistic Habs fans expectation in this, in these playoffs so far, I mentioned two shutouts uh, and you mentioned the protection that Philly has, or that Montreal has had, you know, shown for price, uh, especially in game two, no shots till the 17 minute mark, but it's not like the chances aren't there. Mm -hmm. And what I like most from price is that he's competing. He's making plays. He is confident as all hell. Mm -hmm. He is, he is asserting himself as the most dominant force in this series, not because he's hanging back in his crease, but because he's doing everything he possibly can from the goaltending position to make his mark. Even stuff like when guys, we've seen multiple players run him in this series. And that's not something that hasn't happened before. I mean, we've seen Chris Kreider do it when the Habs were at their peak a few years ago, maybe five years ago. Um, But even him getting up and faking punching whoever it was that fell on him with the blocker, like he is so in control because he's at the point where he's not losing it. He's, he's being like aggressive in a tactical way where he just showed that you, you're not in my head. I'm in your head. I'm going to make you flinch while you're on your back in your crease because I'm still in control here. I think Carey Price has been absolutely spectacular in every way so far in these playoffs. We're now six games into them for the real stuff, obviously with one exhibition game. And he has been maybe the MVP of the, the entire playoffs. But I would argue the best player has come from the next series we're going to talk about, which mm-hmm. is Vancouver and the St. Louis Blues. The Vancouver Canucks up 2-0 in their series. Bo Horvat with the overtime winner in game two. Just give me your thoughts on what's going on with Vancouver and St. Louis, what's happening with Bo, what's happening with Quinn Hughes, and what's happening with the Canucks, and if they're legitimate 
because they are suddenly, as I teased before I got to it, they are the most intriguing team left for me. I cannot wait for game three and I cannot wait to watch the Vancouver Canucks go on a run because I think that's what we're going to see here. Really? You think that they're going to, they're going to string this together? Oh yeah. Well, they're up to nothing. So I mean, I I can't imagine. Sure. St. Louis can come back, but they look to me like the team that's in control here. And St. Louis is just trying to find itself from the goaltending position out. I I feel like they're vulnerable right now. And the most opportunistic team Mm -hmm. that we've seen might be Vancouver. So I think it's the perfect storm for them right now. Yeah, I think that this is just like Vancouver is such an interesting team to watch. I I really am really really enjoying it, and they've, you know what? Like, what's been what's been remarkable is that their their core like is is young, and they're always labeled as like a young team, but their their actual roster isn't really that young. Like they have a they have guys they have the Jay Beagles and you know like the Michael Furlins and guys like that. But no, this is they are you're right. They're an incredibly intriguing team. Bo Horvat is this is what a captain does in the playoffs. He takes his his takes his game to another level. And on that breakaway goal, I saw a great breakdown on on Twitter today from a scout. I think it was Gus Katsaros who who at least um, retweeted it. Is that he only really took like three strides in that, but it was all crossovers that really got that. Like he he's he's such an interesting skater, and it clearly worked. Like he could just turn on the jets, and he was able to use like crossovers for that instead of just like straightaway strides, which I guess kind of helped his momentum. But that yeah, you know, a captain like that, a leader like that, steps up when his team needs him the most. And this team didn't want to go away. They're against the defending Stanley Cup champions, who haven't really lost too many too many pieces. Like they're they're at full strength pretty much, and. It's a young, inexper- playoff inexperienced team, and Bo Horvat just took over. And then Quinn Hughes, like I, there was a take on Twitter um, going on, I think it was last night, and I would agree with it when I, really, when I really sat down and thought about it, is Quinn Hughes might be the best defenseman at his peak that the Canucks have ever had. Because you think about, you know, like he's better than, B- he's better than BX already, he's better than Matthias Olin, Sammy Salo, all those guys like that. Hmm. And he's a rookie. And he has seven points in, in eight games as a rookie defenseman in the most, and we have to keep in mind, like, this is the most, this is the weirdest circumstances you could possibly play a hockey game in. It's, it, it, it disrupts routines. It disrupts momentum. It disrupts, you know, a sense of, a sense of comfort. And Quinn Hughes is out here essentially playing a road game every single night as a rookie in the playoffs against the family, defending Stanley Cup champions after a, uh, after a hard-fought um, qualifying round. And he's still playing as good as any defenseman is in the playoffs. He's phenomenal. That is a steal. They got him, what, eighth overall? That's a steal. Like, it's, that's, that's amazing. So this is a really interesting team. And it really kind of boils down to, I think, Markstrom. Like, it really does boil down to whether or not Markstrom can, can keep this going. And he's, he wasn't really that good in, in, the, uh, in the qualifying series. And they were able to kind of eke by with that. But if Markstrom plays like he did in the regular season, then they are going to be absolutely phenomenal but the, another thing with the Canucks too is that they're pretty capped out like they have to really do some some very interesting money moves so they are a team that has a young core yes you can say oh they're playing with house money but given the amount of pieces that they might have to either sell off or the moves they, they might have to make to kind of downsize in terms of financial commitments and they still have to re-sign Markstrom this is kind of their window at this point so like they are a great underdog story but they kind of need to go far at least make some noise so they can they can give their management confidence that they, that they're worth the, this financial investment. So you're right. Just there's so many intriguing aspects of this team, like so many just intriguing kind of narratives that are coming out of Vancouver. And you know what, that city, like it deserves a winner. Like that, that is a a hockey mad market clearly. 
um, and who have been subjected to just some very, very bad management in hockey over the last little bit. And the fact that, you know, the GM can go out and sign Tyler Myers to that deal and Jay Beagle to that deal and all that and still, you know, and, and still have the success like this and still kind of play a fun, you know, like a, a skill, speedy, structured kind of hockey is, is remarkable. So they deserve, they deserve to have, have a winner in Vancouver. I think it's better when all the Canadian teams are doing well. And uh, yeah, and Vancouver is, is I, would, I would hesitate to, or not hesitate to say that they're the best shot for Canada to take home a cup this year. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you're Canadian and you want to see that come back to, you know, if you want to see that come back to the city that since before, or not the city, the country, since before I was born, um, Canucks are probably the bandwagon you should jump onto. I'm glad you mentioned the window because I do think you're right. I think you hit the nail on the head. I do think it's small because what, what's happening right now is they're catching sort of that middle ground between these great young talents coming up and these guys at the end or at the end of their peak, perhaps, um, who are going to be diminishing as talents. Like you mentioned Tyler Myers. He's hurt. I don't know if we're going to see him. But these, there's a bunch of guys that they just went out and got for probably – they probably overpaid for, let's just be – Oh, they all – they did. On, let's be honest about it. Um, but they still have something right now. Mm-hmm. It might not last very long. But they have something right now, and they're catching the end of it, these young guys who are at the top of their game. So while you look at their young talent, you think, well, this is just the start for them. With the cap dynamics and who they've uh, they've invested in, uh, it's pretty important that they do well this Mm -hmm. season. And maybe Bo Horvat recognizes that because he is going legend in this playoff. Uh, You mentioned Quinn Hughes. I think what we're seeing from Quinn Hughes, what everyone in Vancouver has been trying to tell us, is happening on a nightly basis with Quinn Hughes and how he is maybe better than Kale McCarr, even though if I had a vote, I would still have gone with Kale McCarr. Yeah, me too. Um, but maybe it's because I'm not watching the Canucks anymore. But I'm not going to pretend that I've seen enough Canucks games to tell you exactly about Bo Horvat. But I know, I'm confident that he is not, he did not show this during the regular seasons and regular seasons past. No. This is a completely different Bo Horvat. So Bo Horvat that's scoring not only big goals, but beautiful goals. I think the two goals that might lead his personal highlight tape are the two goals that he scored in this series in regulation. And then, of course, the overtime winner is the one that gave the Vancouver Canucks the 2-0 series lead. If there was a Conn Smythe Trophy power rankings, right now it's Bo Horvat and then it's Carey Price. And they both play for the Canadian teams and they're both leading their Canadian teams Mm -hmm. to potential upsets or putting them in position for potential upset. So you're right. If you're, if you're a Leaf fan that listens to this podcast and wants to get on the bandwagon, you might be one of those fans that hates any other Canadian team and doesn't want to see them do well. I think you're right. It's more interesting when Canadian teams are in it. And two of the best performers in the playoffs so far belong to Canadian teams. Bo Horvat has been absolutely phenomenal. And who doesn't want to see Josh Levo get a ring? Come on, if you're a Leafs fan. That'd be terrific. It's, look, like they do have a lot of these, you know, a, a lot of these big sort of... The, Edmonton and Vancouver are very similar that they would give kind of top six money to like tweener slash bottom six guys. Like they have, you know, they're paying a lot of money to guys like Brandon Sutter, Jay Beagle, um, even Michael Furlan, like even though with all the stuff that he's been, he's been dealing with guys like that. Antoine Roussel, for example, is making like what, 3 million or something. Like there, there's, there's a lot of weird contracts on that team, but it is an example of like the JT Miller trade, for example incredible steal or not in steal, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's an example of a team paying a premium for something that they clearly needed and it working out. 
it's an, it's an incredibly bold stroke that paid off, I think, yes. better than even they could have imagined. Well, imagined. yeah. They, well, their, their, you know, their Twitter team put out a video dunking on their own fans for criticizing it. So that was, that was an interesting move on their part. I'm not sure if yeah. I would have done that personally. But no, hey. like, who knows? Um, it's, this is just a really, this is, this is a very, very, you know, fun team. Like a, fun is, is, is the key word here when it comes to these two Canadian teams with the, with the Canadians and with, with the Canucks. But it's just like, I enjoy watching the Canucks play hockey. I enjoy watching them come down from a 3-1 deficit. I enjoy watching, you know, uh, uh, Bo Horvat take the game over. Like he just, you know, got a star in Super Mario or, or watching Quinn Hughes make outlet passes that, you know, you know, as watching the Leafs mainly, you can only hope that a defenseman can make. Or even watching Elias Pettersson, just like, you know, I haven't really even noticed him that much. And he's got seven points in six games. Like, I was, I was prepared to go, oh, and they've done this without, you know, Elias Pettersson really chipping in that much. No, he's been fantastic. So is Brock Besser, who they were apparently going to trade because they, they, you know, wanted to they – they were thinking of trading him because they wanted to, you know, trade uh, Tyler Toffoli, who also has only played one game. But, uh, or keep Tyler Toffoli, sorry. He's only played one game. But, no, this – it's a, it's just a phenomenally fun. It's this is what the playoffs should be. Teams coming out of nowhere, you know, a, a plucky group of, of of guys. A lot of people counted out, but they have some skill. They have they have a lot of fight in them. They don't give up, and they're going out and putting out and putting on an entertaining product. And they might topple the king. They might topple the stand, defending Stanley Cup champions who really haven't had anything removed from their from their roster of of you know significant substance since they won the cup. And here we are enjoying the playoffs with, with a, another intriguing team. You could, when you said there's another intriguing team we're talking about, and I, they're the most intriguing, I thought you were going to, I thought you were going to talk about the, like the, the Carolina Hurricanes, who are also another intriguing team. So like this is, these, these playoffs, although it's the bubble makes it weird and there's no crowds, it is, this has been so entertaining. I'm, I am just loving, loving this format. And I, I hope that not with the bubble, but I hope there's some way that they can keep this going um, moving forward, or at least keep the, the game, and I know there's a little off topic, but keeping the, you know, the game starting in the afternoon or only having one on at a time, because it's just, it, it captures your attention and it seems to be great for everyone involved. Oh, I really hope they, they continue on with this because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so much better being able to watch everything. Even with five games, there's slight overlap and it's hard to squeeze them all in because you're mm-hmm. literally giving up your entire day watching hockey. Yeah. And let's be honest, I'm pro- I think we're I speak for both of us when I say that Washington and the New York Islanders is not getting our attention right now. Uh, definitely not on the rundown. Um, but it, it's just great to always have the opportunity to turn a game on. It's, yeah. And, and, to, and to know that you're not missing things. One of the most frustrating things as a hockey fan who also covers the sport for mm-hmm. a living is you, you have to cover a series. Usually, you know, the first round every year I'm covering a series and missing everything else that goes on. Yeah when the Maple Leafs play. Like, I, I didn't see a single second of Vegas and San Jose last year when one of the most remarkable comebacks in history went down in Game 7 with San Jose beating the Vegas Golden Knights. I missed all of that. And as a hockey fan, first and before ever working in hockey, like, that pains me so much. But under this format, it's easier to get everything in mm-hmm. and to, because there's, first of all, there's less overlap. And second, overall, it's just it's just stretched out beautifully. And actually there's some thought put into it rather than just putting all these games on at once and not even trying to match up the, you know, the intermissions. I don't know if they do that. So they want you to watch the intermissions, but usually it's like, okay, it's an hour later, but both for the first and second period started at the exact same time. And it's like, you, even though they're staggered, it doesn't work yeah. because they're both, the action is on at the exact same time. There's my fire alarm. Hopefully 
hopefully that's not a big <laughs> issue. Okay, now that I've uh, evacuated the building and re-entered the building, I don't know if the issue has actually been cleared up. So there might be another uh, ear piercing uh, fire alarm that comes through my uh, system here, but we won't linger around too too much longer. We'll get right through the rest of this podcast, mm-hmm. which is just a quick news roundup before we were uh, rudely interrupted. Uh, not much to get to, but actually one leaf note. But before that, we'll get to the fact that the Penguins fired three assistants after losing to the Habs, kept Mike Sullivan, vote of confidence in Mike Sullivan. Jimmy Rutherford, very candid, saying that there will be changes to the roster, uh, but he's already made those changes to the coaching staff. So Mark Recchi, Jacques Martin, and Sergei Gonchar, pretty uh, impressive list of, of uh, assistant coaches, by the way, just from mm-hmm. a, I guess, uh, pedigree standpoint, yeah. former players. And of course, Jacques Martin, who's been a, a good coach for a very good long time, but they haven't had very much success in the postseason, swept by the Islanders last year, and of course, losing in the play-in round to the 12th seed this year. So what, what, what do we expect here? I mean, Mike Sullivan team is a Mike Sullivan team. He's a successful coach. He's won Stanley Cup uh, with the uh, – he's won two Stanley Cups with the Pittsburgh Penguins. What can we expect? What, what's going to help Mike Sullivan? What's going to challenge Mike Sullivan? Does anything catch your eye from uh, what's needed there? Or is this just, you know, that, that move that just checks a box because something needs to be changed? This is the circle of life. It happens all the time with, with coaches in the NHL where you don't want to fire the coach. So you fire his assistants first, and then you bring in new ones. Maybe, maybe a guy with a little bit of pedigree as a head coach, which I thought Jacques, Mar- Jacques Martin was, but a guy with a little bit of pedigree as a head coach to come in as an assistant and kind of hint towards the head coach, like, hey, you know, we, we might be grooming this guy to take over for you. So, like, you better, you better you know, be on, on your game. And then eventually, if that doesn't get, you know, resumed or resolved or whatever, then they eventually fire the head coach. Jim, Jim Rutherford does not play around. Like what? Like with his comments, I was shocked with some of them. He's very much like you know we need we need change. There'll be change to the roster. He also um, came out and in in a very dubious like fashion defended you know Jack Johnson pretty heavily, and then turned around and immediately sewered Justin Schultz in in quick succession um, as a you know someone who has helped them get two cups. I think is far and away the better you know defenseman on that pairing. There are going to be some changes in Pittsburgh. You know Max Domi's name is already being linked to there. Um, it was mentioned on 31 Thoughts podcast this week. And um, Jim Rutherford is known to, you know, he, he's, he's one of the older GMs. He, does, he knows that he's not in for a rebuild. He's not in for a retool. And when you have Sidney Crosby on your roster, you're never going to be in a rebuild. So he's going to make some, I think he's going to swing for the fences this offseason. He already did that by trading Phil Kessel and doing all these other things. And that didn't work. Galchenyuk did not work with them. Um, and keep in mind, they also loaded up at the deadline and traded away um, some some. I'm pretty sure they're, they're keeping their first round pick this year um, and giving the wild, you know, that their first round pick next year, which is a gamble. Um, but they also traded away one of their top uh, defensive prospects. So they're, they're in a really interesting spot right now. They really have to, they have to make some noise next season or else, you know, Evgeny Malkin's contract is starting to come up um, very soon and there'll be a lot of really, really difficult questions. So yeah, I, I was, I was really intrigued by, by, you know, what Pittsburgh did this, this week. I'm intrigued by the comments that Jim Rutherford made. I'm intrigued by, you know, the, the three coaches who are all, you know, seemingly very talented, very, you know, highly regarded coaches, two of them former players um, in that organization being let go. Clearly, there is some need to change. But also at the same time, the, if you're going to count the qualifying round as a playoffs, then the Penguins have one postseason win in the past two years. They got swept by the Islanders in the first round last year. And then – they got absolutely completely upset 
by the uh, by the Montreal Canadiens, the lowest seed team in the playoffs after loading up at the deadline, after getting um, uh, what's his name? Not Charlie. I get all that'd, these... be, that'd be zero postseason wins. Well, yeah, I guess because you don't. Yeah, because yeah, you don't count because they won one in, in in against Montreal, but I guess you don't count those now. So it's zero postseason wins. So it's oh, I thought you meant series victories. Sorry. Yeah, they yeah only one win across two years. You're right. Yeah, and they loaded up at the deadline. They got Jason Zucker and they signed him, and then they got beat by the 24th seed team, pretty handedly. So it's there, there needed to be changed no matter what. And I think that, you know, I think obviously I think Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin have a lot of say in who's going to come in. Um, and I think they have a lot of respect for Mike Sullivan, but at the same time, like uh, Jim Rutherford's not scared to make moves. And if he thinks that either firing this coach or making big swings on the roster to, to change up some pieces that we thought were like kind of bedrock in Pittsburgh, I don't think like Malkin's on the market or anything, but I think some, some big moves when it comes to, you know, some of those guys kind of farther down the line, maybe like a Hornquist or, or seeing, you know, what guys like that can, can get you. He's not scared of that. So, so Pittsburgh's going to be, there's, there's no, there's no more entertaining team in an off season than a good team who is supposed to be good, but was not because they're scrambling and they're, they're, they're chucking Hail Marys to kind of regain their, their composure and their dynamic. And I think that Rutherford is going to be, you know, he's really going to be throwing, throwing some, uh, some lawn darts out there. Yes, it's exactly that. It's the underperforming potential contender, but the underperforming potential contender with Jimmy Rutherford at the helm, yes. that's the most exciting team in the offseason. Uh, yeah, you're right. I don't think the coaches really do much. Uh, honestly, yeah, there might be some a couple ideas that come about, but this is they are going to only go so far as their roster takes them, and it's up to Jimmy Rutherford to improve that roster. I think it's obviously wise for them to keep the pick because, I mean, we're – there's only so many years of that Crosby Malkin tandem left. And if you can get that player in as quick as possible, that doesn't mean you have to rush him, but in either next year or the year after that and make an impact right away. I think that obviously uh, behooves them to do just that. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Let's go to the last item. And we'll actually, I guess, bookend this with some, a little bit of leaf chat because yes. we're going to touch on the fact that Paul, Paul McFarland has uh, decided to go back to the OHL, which may or may not, may not restart anytime soon no uh, but certainly not right away it doesn't look like but he will be in charge at Kingston with Shane Wright one of the most exciting uh, young players that's ready to set foot onto the NHL ice uh, in the next few years uh, and they've also let go of Andrew Brewer or, or not re-upped his contract he's the video coach I know a guy Justin Bourne mm -hmm. is that that'd be great you know maybe you could rejoin Sheldon Keith uh, we'll just keep him on the writing and radio yeah. side because we're enjoying that as well um, but yeah, I, I don't know what this says. I think Babcock, the way he said Andrew Brewer made me, he called him brew, make me think he's probably a Babcock guy and Babcock guys are not exactly in complete supply anymore with the Leafs right now. But, uh, Paul McFarlane was supposed to be the guy that was supposed to turn all these great parts on a power play into something truly special after what he did in Florida. I don't think he quite reached that potential. I think there was some uh, some circumstances that were beyond his control, like Mike Babcock refusing to play Tyson Berry in that position, uh, some injuries and all that. But I think as much as they did, you know, perform decently well, when you look, just look at their spot in, in the, in the league table, uh, it did come up short. It was stagnant. It was flawed in many ways, but that's, I don't think that's the reason why he's going. And there is my the fire alarm. So you can just start over the no, just, one once it's done. No, no, just cut, just cut it there, and then is it done? 
Here, I'll, I'll quickly send to you and then you could just wrap this entire thing up. Okay. I'll go on mute. Okay, so I'll just, uh, just start on my. Just be like, what do you think, Mike, or something? Because you, you bookended your point. At, like I'll, I'll quickly do what McFarlane was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Okay, three, two, one. McFarlane was supposed to turn around this power play, turn all these you know great parts into something big. I think there was some factors beyond his control, like Babcock's usage and just the fact that there were some injuries and all that. They seemed to perform decently, but they also seemed to underperform with all the expectations that were there. I guess just your thoughts, Mike, on McFarlane leaving, and if you have anything on Brewer, the video coach, who who won't be around next year as well. Yeah, well, Brewer was a Babcock guy, like you said. You know, he like Babcock brought him in from Detroit um, when when he was hired. So clearly, he's been here for a while, and and that's that's a big loss. McFarlane, though, he was supposed to come in and be the power play wizard. Um, he was given a, you know, a chest of toys, unlike pretty much any other team in the world to work with. And he failed. Like the, the Leafs power play was, you know, a disaster at times this year. It was bad to a disaster and they clearly needed something. And we, again, we don't know how much that was attributed to Mike Babcock kind of hindering the everything, but there was no sort of, um, systemic innovation with him. It was all the, it was all these drop passes, all these failed zone zone entries that were clearly, you know, telegraphed by the other team, you know, in a heartbeat, it was, Paul McFarlane failed at his job. And so there's a reason why I think that when he got presented with that opportunity to be the head coach in Kingston, that the Leafs were pretty much okay with him just kind of being like, all right, go for it. It was, it was a lot like with Jim Hiller where they're like, look, we're not firing you, but if you want to look somewhere else, like you, you can, we're not going to stop you. Um, so yeah, McFarlane, look, he, it just didn't work out here in Toronto with them. There are a lot of kind of one-year wonders on this Leafs team that it just didn't work out with. Um, and he was one of them. And he now is going, and he clearly has wanted to be a head coach. I think he's made that intention, you know, known pretty well. And, and being a head coach in, for an OHL team that could potentially be, you know, a dynasty for the next couple of years with Shane Wright, you know, that's a, that's a great way to get yourself noticed and to run a ship and to really learn the, the ins and outs of being a head coach, even at the NHL level. So, yeah, it, I think it works out perfectly for him. I think it works out really well for the Leafs. And now, you know, we're not going to get too into it, but there are the rumors of, you know, Bruce Boudreaux would, would take a, a lesser role to um, essentially handle the power, the, the offense on his hometown Leafs. That's really exciting. And if that works out, then I think it's, it's as win-win of a situation as it can get for both parties. So kudos to, to Paul McFarlane. It just wasn't seemingly wasn't the right fit here. And now, uh, and now Keith and, and the rest and Dubas and the rest of the Leafs organization can bring in sort of like their guys, you know, quote, quote unquote, their guys in the second go around. And hopefully it, it leads to better results next year. We are literally dodging updates from my security system here at my mm -hmm. condo because they just wrapped up saying we're all clear so i feel like i'm all clear to finish up this podcast with i guess i thought uh, some thoughts on uh you know potentially boost boudreau coming uh, i think that'd be very cool i think that would be i mean this is obviously coaching the leafs i think is his dream i think there's other opportunities for him could he be a broadcaster one day i think he pretty pretty well could uh, i think bruce boudreau there's a lot of things that are going to be available to him, probably including head coaching positions in, in the NHL. But as he grows older and, and his dream is always going to be coaching the Leafs is not there. Let's be honest. It's Sheldon Keith is the guy here for the foreseeable future. I think he would take that opportunity if it did come to pass. Uh, so that would be quite interesting. It would be an interesting dynamic between them two, but I think it's something that could potentially work because that is a strong hockey mind and someone that could probably help this team. Um, but it's interesting because Dave Haxtell is still in the fold and that's a Babcock guy. So everything from the coaching staff to the bottom end of the roster, the number eight defenseman, Martin, Martin Marincin, baby, everything that happens from the lease moving forward, 
at every area of the organization is going to be interesting because uh, as we mentioned in the last podcast, there needs to be changes, there needs to be improvements. And that will start in earnest with the head coaching staff and you know trickle down all the way down to the bottom of the lineup because there's so much the Leafs have to do. But Paul McFarland will be coaching in Kingston at some point whenever the Ontario Hockey League kicks off. And Andrew Brewer, uh, I'm not quite sure how we're how we're going to see him surface next, but Who I'm knows? sure he's doing fine. Yeah, if Bruce Brujo is is willing to take that role and and commit to being part of you know a cog in the machine opposed to you know the the, the guy who operates the machine, this could be a game changing for the Leafs because he's always been. Bruce Boudreaux offense has always been good. He has, he has, you know, uh, experience handling, not just, you know, dynamic offensive players in, you know, uh, uh, Alex Ovechkin, but handling big personalities too. And there are a lot of those on the Leafs, a lot of young dynamic offensive personalities. So I think that, you know, this, if, if this works out, this is kind of best case scenario for, for all parties involved. So it'll be really, really interesting to see what happens here. And it, you know, a little, a little sliver of hope for Leafs fans who haven't had a lot of it in the last little bit. Okay, that's it for us. Uh, we promise we're going to get to the Flames and Stars because we didn't touch on them today, but that is also a very intriguing series with, uh, you know, Sam Bennett and Milu, Milan Lucic turning into the Bash brothers and, and getting it done so far up 2-1 in their series versus Dallas. We'll get to Carolina and Boston as well. They're playing as we record this, so we, we didn't want to get too much, uh, didn't di- want to dive too much more into that series beyond what we talked about off the top with Tuka Rask. And of course, we got to get to Colorado at some point. I mean, they are maybe the most exciting team to watch. And Nathan McKinnon, McKinnon literally looks like the Incredible Hulk at times mm-hmm. in that series. So we need to get to them as well. We're going to touch on everything in these playoffs moving forward and including some Leafs chat. But it is Live Laugh Leafs NHL Stanley Cup playoffs edition. It does not include the Maple Leafs this time, but there still be there still will be some Leaf talk. Uh, But we'll get to all the other headlines on our next show and keep rolling here and see what happens next. Uh, Because as you mentioned, we're going to be watching hockey from sunrise to sunset pretty much for the next few weeks or so. So Mike Stevens, if you have anything else to add, go ahead and do it. But that's it for me because I don't want another another update from my security team. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.